Clay, it's been a long time since we covered an episode of Star Trek Voyager with all the other Star Trek and podcasts and stuff going on. But mm. I am sad to say we're still in Kazon territory. We're just we've yes. we've been we've been waiting for a Zigging long time. Zigging and zagging, not really moving forward. <laughs> no, but between between the end, or I should say between the end of uh, the last episode and and this one, it's it's been a long road. One might say, getting yep. from there to here. It has been. Absolutely. We're still seeing all the familiar faces. We got a new holodeck program because the old one burned out, all that stuff. So, yeah, we, this is a long way of saying for the listeners that it's um it's been a while since we've done an episode of Star Trek Voyager just because everything else has popped up. We had to remind ourselves where we left off. We all, we, none of us can believe that that's where it was. That's where we are. We're in the third season. I couldn't remember if it was the third or the second season we had left ourselves off on. This yeah. is going to make what we're saying right now is going to make no sense to the person who is listening to this on the phone they found in the wasteland yeah. five years from now. <laughs> this podcast is the only thing keeping them warm at night in the nuclear winter. Well, hopefully the Patreon is still up and running and I have a and bunker. And they're just binging the shit out of this show. Enjoy. People love Voyager. So we're back at least for a little bit. Until we either go back to Strange New Worlds or Voyager, I have to put up a poll on patreon.com slash file to decide whether or not we go to Strange New Worlds Season 2 or we stay with the homey comfort of Voyager, which includes <laughs> episodes like Warlord, which is the 10th episode of the third season of Star Trek Voyager. came out on November 20th, 1996, just in time for Thanksgiving. It was a teleplay by Lisa Klink. Story credit goes to Andrew Shepard Price and Mark Gaberman. Directed by David Livingston, I presume, in universe date 50348.1 to 50361.7. That's funny. I've never, it's rare that they have like a, a stretch, a period uh, to go on. This takes place over multiple days? I guess so. It's all the same year. So it must just be someone, they must say the star date at the end of the episode and at the beginning, and they just wrote it both in. So oh, who knows? Right. Uh, in this one called Warlord. Kess is taken over by the mind force of an obsessive rebel. Um, so, uh, as I said, we've been away from Voyager for a long time. Um, mm. And I think this was actually kind of a bad episode to come back on. Not for, <laughs> not for, not for quality, but quality, quality aside. Um, a lot of stuff happened. I, I feel the need that I have to clear this up up front. So a lot of stuff happens in this episode that I think are maybe a little bit surprising. And I, I guess, uh, like, so first of all, the the Shay Fook is apparently gone at this point, and it's been replaced by this Caribbean thing on the holodeck. Right, right, right. Well, I can say it's a bad place to come back in because the first thing that I see on Voyager after how many months or whatever off is just a close-up of... Yeah, it's disgusting. Yoke's, feet. His troll feet. <laughs> and I was eating breakfast when I watched this, and it almost made me stop my breakfast and the show at the same he's time. He's giving horrible facial uh, expressions as he's getting a foot rub. Yeah, Neelix's feet. So, like, and uh, like they have. So the 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 bar is gone in the holodeck going mm. forward. So we we have this. Oh, really? Place. So this is just this we have is this what place. We're looking at? Yeah, this is oh, what they're going to be hanging out at, which is. Surprising. So this is a long way of just saying that this episode surprised me because when I read about it afterwards, I was shocked that it felt like a new beginning in some ways. So like the holodeck mm. is one thing. And this is going to, maybe this is surprising news to you. Kess and Neelix actually break up in this episode. For real. This is the end of the relationship of those two. Well, you know, if I had to guess why, I think it's probably because... When Kess went into this Caribbean paradise, <clears throat> she's never seen anything like this before, right? No, she I, I hadn't either. Far yeah, away. Yeah. She watches Neelix go up and get a plate of spicy paraca wings. <laughs> and he asks, he asks for a special sauce. They don't have the sauce. Yeah. And he just walks away from the wings. And that, that hurts her so deeply. <laughs> I have never identified with Kess more. I'm assuming this all happened. I, we don't see it in the episode, but I, I'm assuming in my mind's eye, I'm, I have my own personal experiences that I'm bringing to this episode. I understand what I'm saying is I understand why she breaks up with him. She's a stronger person than I was. Yeah, in in a similar situation. No, he doesn't. He couldn't get 
Neelix couldn't get the tartar sauce. It was a whole plate of free <laughs> food. Just walked away from it. <laughs> it's holodeck food. As Amy said, does that food really exist? And so you have yeah, to, you have to you, question it. Can you get full from holodeck food? I think so. But if you left, it would be like you never ate it, right? Oh, my God. That is just such a... It's like a bulimia thing. Oh, that's like the best and the worst thing I could possibly think of. Yeah, without the horrible vomiting, you just don't gain yeah. weight. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a Kess episode. Uh, we're back with Warlord. But, and, and like, I, you know, so maybe it speaks to the quality of the episode. And, again, it's a tough episode to come in because I I was prepared to give this a one, but I don't know if it's a one. <laughs> it's, so, and I think that the Kess and the Neelix thing is a good place to sort of start because mm. I, the episode doesn't have them have a conversation after she's not, Right, uh, like yeah. taken over, possessed by the spirit well, of the guy. It's like, so how yeah. can you break them up at this point? That was the thing that I was most curious. About. So, I didn't know anything about this episode going into it, and so once things start going down, like first when she she breaks up with Neelix, and then when she helps the other ones escape, my first thought was, "Oh shit, is this the last Kess episode?" Because mm-hmm. I know she leaves at some point. And so I thought maybe whatever happens in this episode is this is how they they write Kess off the show. Clearly not that. But when they get to the end of the episode, I found myself, especially with the way that that it ends with her and Tuvok, I found myself thinking, is anything that Tuvok is saying here, does it matter? Is this any of this going to stick? Is Kess now a different person or is this just grasping at, Trying to come up with an ending, yeah. Yeah, Uh, and so to hear that actually I guess it does stick and that they are broken up, especially knowing that they're broken up, it is very strange that Neelix is not involved in that final scene. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, or any conversation after it. I was was really surprised by that, reading that, because I I look at the reviews afterwards to see what people are saying, and a lot, all the reviews just bring up the fact because they're all written post the show. They're like, this is the last Neelix and Kess relationship thing. Because so- what's, what's sitting right there, I think, is the conversation where Neelix goes, you know, I'm so glad to have you back. Um, I couldn't, I, I knew that when those things that you said to me when we were at lunch, I knew it c- couldn't be you. I knew it couldn't have been this other thing. And for Kess to be like, no, I said those before I was taken over. Right. You know, like that, that kind <laughs> yeah. of thing, which they which they don't do. He might have been an and, asshole, but he's not wrong. Is that what you should say? After, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like that's I, I feel like that's the, 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 the zinger at the end is that, no, she really did. That's really how she felt. That was before she was taken over by the ghost of this warlord guy. Yeah. Um, but they don't do that for whatever reason. But. No, it's really strange. Um, and I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I, I think it actually speaks to a larger problem of Voyager's writing, really, which is that they, uh, you know, it's the stuff we've talked about all before. It's I don't, Voyager doesn't seem to take itself and its show particularly seriously. It, so, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't really think that, it needs to explain the end of a relationship that has been on the show for three seasons. Yeah. You know? And it's very it, Milchian. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's maybe not really two episodes <laughs> from now, Kess is gonna be like, we've been broken up for six weeks. <laughs> but the time jumps are so confusing. So yeah, I, I, I find um I just I I was surprised by it. I just I think it's a you know, I can I can see wanting to abandon a storyline, right? But I think that after you've put so much time into at least this, like, the lip service of these two are in a relationship. You can't, you can't just pull the plug on it like that. You, like you can pull the plug, but Neelix has to have a scene at the end of the episode where he says, right. "Like we're actually broken up now," because otherwise, it just it it feels um like you've just abandoned it and you don't think that any of it mattered in the first place, which is probably just the really the worst thing you could probably do. At least try to do something to wrap up your own storyline. Yeah, it's it's a very cha- it's a very strange choice, and it does make it you know as I said, it's it's difficult to feel like anything sticks if they're not going to have that scene, right? Um, <clears throat> like if they just come back in the next episode and they're just broken up, it's going to be very confusing. Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the other side of the coin is that if you were to watch, like, 
<clears throat> so Amy doesn't watch the show regularly, but she watches every once in a while. And this was the first time she watching this episode, she was unaware that Neelix and Kess were even dating, you know? So that, that's the other yeah, side to it. Yeah. There's some, the Neelix and Kess thing is, has never really been a thing that felt like it was a real relationship. Right. Because there's so much weird shit attached to it. Um, and they've never spent really any time. There's a couple episodes where they, you know, something happens to one of them and the other one's like, but I love him or her right. or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, if once Neelix's lungs get taken out, she's like, but I, I love the way he breathes. <laughs> His death um, rattle just turns me on. But, like, it, they've never really gotten into it because because there's a lot of weird shit attached to it too like the fact that she's two years old yeah and he's and lives her, to and be teaching eight her everything for eight or whatever and i think it you add, end up asking too many questions like what kind of like are they you know are they yeah well i mean they they I, it's they, not what's a, it's <laughs> it's another thing to get into um you know, because the, the episode itself, Kess's breakup language is along the lines of like, you're my first relationship, so I didn't know things could be better than this. Right. And right. so it's like there's there's all this stuff that you could talk about here. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like in the modern time, the internet discord would, would or discourse would be that uh, Neelix is clearly grooming her. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, it was, I mean, she lets him off easy, really. He's yeah. he's he's a clownish character who does like his actions are actually worse than things uh, the show wants to let on. But I think that that's just that's part and parcel of I don't think the show takes itself particularly seriously. So it's not going to really examine what this means or what the breakup means or really get into what this means for Kess because I I can't imagine that Kess is a different character on the show going forward. It's just the fact that they're not going to tell you constantly that they're in a relationship anymore. Well, I'm curious to see because I, you know, as I've been saying since we started this, I actually don't hate her character. I think she's a pretty interesting character, has the potential to be an interesting character Yeah, because of all of the weirdness that's attached to her. And so if they actually continue from this point and have Kess grow in some way or change in some way, then I'm into that. I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like, but I'm not really expecting much, yeah. frankly. Look, like I, I kind of was, I kind of was almost hope. So I, I, I went on to IMDb <coughs> and, uh, I looked cause I, again, I wasn't sure if maybe this was the last Kess episode and I pulled up her name and it said that she played two characters on Voyager. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't recognize the name of the other character, and I hadn't registered the name of the warlord in this one. And so part of me started thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, sorry. Are you saying that IMDb was saying that she plays the warlord in this episode? No. Oh. She, it, it says um, on IMDb she's listed as Kess slash like Palaxia or something. Oh, okay. It was just a completely different name that is not the name of the warlord. But I didn't at that point know what the name of the warlord was yeah and so i was thinking oh is this going to be like an angel situation swishing it up not buffy reference angel reference is this going to be like angel where she comes back to the ship but now she is actually has this warlord body warlord spirit inside of her because the way that they were saying oh yeah i mean you know the body's the same but she's long gone mentally yeah i thought they were going they were setting it up to be like, how do we change this character without changing the actor? Gotcha. It's like a Tom and, Riker situation. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm into that too. Cause I was kind of, I liked what she was doing as the warlord. I thought it was probably the only interesting thing in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> so part of me was kind of thinking, okay, maybe she comes back to the ship and she's now looks like Kess, but she has this, warlord mentality yeah. dr- driving her ship likes threesomes they didn't, just yeah. always always down for a threesome but they didn't do that either and no. so it's just i don't know i feel like that final scene with tuvok is trying to make it seem like it's going to have long-lasting implications but kind of hedging their bets and kind of half going halfway with it where they can bring it up if they want to, but they can also just business as usual from here on out. Mm. Palaxia is a character that Kess played in Jatrell, which was an episode we saw where there's that Neelix one where Neelix was like a 
survivor of like an atomic blast. I don't know if you remember oh. that episode. She was the, she was he has that hallucination where Kess is in the burnt makeup of looking like oh, a girl. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. And that's apparently her. I, I did not remember that, but that's what it yeah, is. I'm, yeah. Um, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed I got the name right. Yeah. Saying it, it here. <laughs> it was very, very, very good. Yeah, I'm only bringing it up just in case so, so people listening go like, what the fuck is Palaxia? Because I wouldn't have remembered that either. Um, yeah, so I, uh, you know, I, I found the ending of the episode to be it's sort of the the common Voyager thing I'm finding now. Like I, I generally think that they end well. Like the Voyager has a a tendency to have a fairly decent ending scene between two characters. Uh, I thought that the ending here was fairly disconnected from everything else that has gone on in the episode. Oh, yeah. Like in a way yeah. that it's like it makes sense that they're talking about this kind of stuff, but it, it was bringing like a level of gravitas to it that I just didn't think that the episode itself was really talking about it felt like more like a star trek episode where after she's freed from the ghost of the christmas spirit or whatever she becomes just normal cast again and has no issues after that hmm. um like i didn't think the guy was making her examine anything i was uh i thought this was a really boring episode of star trek um it's a possession story which has been done quite frequently yeah um the politics of this planet are fucking boring the the fact that they don't have the budget like the the fact that the show portrays an insurrection as like four people running into the palace and taking over and stuff like yeah. that is like wow this mm-hmm. is this is a really low budget none of the conversations were interesting a lot of the scenes felt like a high school play when like the uh the uh in particular the, uh, the like the the black alien guy that they meet whenever he had a line, he would always like stand behind someone and recite something in the, like the, the worst like theatrical way. Yeah. He was, he definitely had that theatrical Shakespeare yeah. accent going, but I mean, like I, I kind of understand, you know, you got nothing else to do. You got to do <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you put on the makeup and then you're like, what the hell are these guys supposed to sound like? And they're like, I don't know. Make it up. Do what it. Do, you do, do, do your best just to make them sound like Klingon. Yeah, and the, the Voyager aliens continue to have this weird thing where someone's like, put some cabbage on their heads to make them aliens. Yeah. Really weird. I was going to mention that the guy who plays the um, uh, the one whose father gets killed at yes. the beginning, yeah. <laughs> who's, uh, who's on Voyager, is the guy who plays Victor Pascal, who is the ghost that keeps showing up in Pet Cemetery. Oh, there you go. And uh, in that movie, he also has a giant head wound on his head <laughs> he's got the he's got the uh the mug shot for it you can check that out at patreon.com slash the you can listen to clay talk about pet cemetery with amanda sure can um oh jesus oh a bat there's a bat in my room what <laughs> sorry hold on how the hell did it get in here there's a bat in your room <laughs> Where oh <did> my god <laughs> hold on a second <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, and we are back after the great bat attack of 2023. If you uh, heard earlier before the little break there, you might have heard me shrieking about there being a bat in the room and Clay laughing, but uh, a couple days ago we started recording this episode, and a bat came in the window, and it was flying around to my office, and uh, it scared me tremendously. We couldn't finish the recording. It took like an hour, <laughs> hour to get the bat out of my house by opening all the windows and chasing it around while Amy yelled at me through the door. Um, but now here we are. We're back, and uh, we're going to try to finish the podcast for Warlord. But we're a couple of days later, so things might be a little bit shaky in what we repeat and what we don't <laughs> repeat because I don't remember what we talked about too much. But uh, the memory of the bat will always be with me. So Clay, how are you? I'm good. You're halfway to becoming a mass vigilante. Now you just got to kill your family. I do. I have to. I saw him every time I looked at the little bat's face as he was flying above me. I was like, "This is why Batman actually chose a bat." When you watch The Dark Knight, <laughs> you're like, "Bats aren't scary. Bats are just little fuzzy little mouse yeah. things that are flying around." But once, uh, once a mouse is in your house, yeah. with wings, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> there's always that. There's always that scene where Bruce Wayne stands among the swirling yeah. black mass of bats triumphantly. Yeah. And the reality is he would just be going, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> I was I was starfished on the ground just looking up as if I was a nam <laughs> while like explosives were going around me. I don't they're they're um 
I learned something about bats, though. They seem much more erratic than they actually are. If you mm. like, because I was down there waiting for the stupid thing to go out the window for so long, um, they're not as crazy flying as they seem like they are when they first see you. I think that must just be like your human primate reaction to seeing one or something. But like, if you're sure. laying and watching it, they're pretty um, methodical in how they sort of like fly around at least a room and what they land on and stuff like that. And it doesn't seem as as crazy. And they never crash into anything. They're very good at flying. So they're better than well, birds. They get, that, uh, they get that radar. Yeah, yeah. They, they do. And that's why it was surprising he couldn't get out the window. I would have thought he would have thought that was like home free. We, we had a, um, a bird got in here once in the other room that's upstairs. And that thing was... It was like half drunk trying to get the bird out. Like yeah. the bird can't fly and it's like bumping into everything and it's running around and stuff. So the bat was a little bit more graceful, even if it was more uh, horrifying to have to deal with. <laughs> it went into the radiator and I was trying to get it out of the radiator because, of course, it went into the radiator. Mm-hmm. And I was poking at it with like a broom and it was biting the broom and making oh. this like horrific shrieking. It sounded like um, in the movies, if I were to like try to sort of. um tap two bomb wires together to make a sparking thing to make it like to test if that was the wire it would it would make this hissing noise that sounded exactly like an electric short circuity noise as it was biting the broom so i'm i'm just imagining it's like in bram stoker's dracula where it will like crawl into your closet and then you open the closet to reveal it's turned into a giant human-sized <laughs> mass of rats the rat, the rat king, is living in my closet at that point with wings. Your crucifix bursts into flames when it looks at it. So I apologize to everyone for screaming and shrieking in the last episode, but we are here to try to finish this. So Clay, are you prepared for Warlord Part Two, which fortunately sure. was not an episode of Star Trek that we had to watch? But let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, I think we talked about everything. So I only have a couple points that I wanted to cover. So Jennifer Lean or Lien, however you pronounce her name. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're going to hear from a couple of patrons. I read a couple of reviews uh, praising her performance. I sort of strongly disagree, I guess. Like, I, I don't think it's bad, <laughs> but there's a, um, and I don't think the scripted or any great shakes, but there, there's this thing that can happen when you have a sort of petite female who is in one of these genre shows and gets possessed by like a crazed warlord or serial killer or something like that. Mm-hmm. They can kind of come across like a petulant child when they're delivering dialogue that is supposed to seem a little bit more uh, like gravitas to it. Yeah. You know, and I, I found that like she's sort of like marching around in those endless scenes where she's ripping the masks off of her guards trying to find Tuvok or whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, storming around, sort of yelling at people. There's a scene where she like it pans off and she's sort of saying like, hello, hello, hello. It, it um. I don't think she did a bad job, but it's she's not an actress that I think is the right move to give that kind of material. I thought she was pretty good. Okay. I, I thought I thought um, I think what it is is that her she doesn't really get to do much on the show, and Cass is a very reserved kind of character. Yeah, and so I think a lot of it probably just comes from the fact that she's actually getting some some room to to ham it up a little bit. Yeah, and I thought she was fine. I thought she was serviceable. Uh, I, I thought she was, you know, I said it in the in the first half, she's probably one of the more interesting parts of the episode, just seeing her get to stretch her legs a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I understand. I, I see what you. I know what you. I know what you mean. I found it a little clowny. I found it like. Yeah. I mean, it's also the fact that the episode doesn't have a tremendous amount to say about the possession of Cass. Yeah, I I think the thing is, I think what you're kind of queuing in on is there is. Uh, a lot of times when you get a character like this, or you give someone a character like this, male or female, um, it kind of ends up feeling the same way because I don't think that they're they're really putting any kind of interesting new spin on it. It's just sort of like you're you're a big boss badass, go. And they always kind of end up coming out the same kind of way. And I feel like you can tell when people actually kind of think about it for a little bit and try to... Uh, um, craft a performance instead of just making it feel like an acting exercise, and yeah. this probably probably f- feels closer to an acting exercise. But I, I, I think it's I think it's good enough. Yeah, I um, yeah, I certainly don't think she's. I don't know. It's it's not a 
it's not a great performance, as I say, and it's hindered by the fact that it doesn't really doesn't really about anything um, when she's possessed. I, I I found the I found most of this stuff like on the planet to be sort of like over the top kind of theatrical acting, as I think we yeah. talked about in the first well, part. You know, the thing I I, I I we didn't get to is this has big enterprise energy. This episode. Oh, you think like so? this? I think so. Yeah, like whether it's the uh, ending up in the middle of a civil war, uh, civil war on a planet with very nondescript, indistinct <laughs> aliens with <laughs> no bumps cul- on yeah, their no heads. No culture to the aliens at all. It's yeah, the the, the 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 bad guys are just a a warlike culture that wears dark gray. Yeah, uh, and has some sort of vague hold on the the culture and society. That's fair. Um through the uh fact that it's not really about anything and there's not really there's no B plot really, it's just sort of this. Yeah. And um you know, the ending is pretty silly. The ending is is it turns into a gunfight, which is very I think it turns into a gunfight. Yeah, like extent, they right? storm yeah. the, the the Voyager crew storm the like, Yeah, the which is which is very uh, which is very uh, um, the enterprise does that stuff all the time, you know, and it, so it it felt like this felt like it was very proto enterprise to me overall. That really stuck out to me when the Voyager uh, crew stormed the the ending. It, it was piling on to the fact that if the you know the planet is at civil war, but there's only like six people that we ever see on the planet, and yeah. w- for some reason it really stuck out to me. I know this happens all the time, but um, I, when it, when the Voyager crew ran in, I was like. Wow, they just send all the senior staff down to rescue her. Yeah. Huh? That's an yeah. interesting, bold choice into this gunfight. But I know they always do that. I don't know why it stuck out to me in this episode in particular to be something to comment on, but it did. Oh, and also they send someone down in disguise. Right. That's, yeah, that's, that's a, what they do that a lot in Enterprise. That's an Enterprise special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is kind of an Enterprise-y. Um, the, the structure of it, I think, is kind of Enterprise-y. Um, and then there's also that scene where clearly, before they started shooting, someone decided to make a set visit and inform everyone that guys, I I tried the best that I could. They won't let the girls kiss. <laughs> They'll let us get right up to the line, but they won't let them kiss. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everybody, myself especially. <laughs> Don't be too hard on yourself, Rick. Brandon will give us this episode the punch up that it needs to get us into Enterprise territory. Do you, um, I mean, I guess that that's a, it's the, um, the, the switching of sexes is something that it, it, like in this one, it just kind of, um, happens and it's sort of a byproduct and the episode Mm -hmm. doesn't really care about it all that much. Um, I almost found it charming that the episode didn't care about it too much. And like the, the mm. other wife or whatever, the like the girlfriend of that guy or whatever her relationship is, um, she didn't care too much about it. I think they mentioned the fact that uh, the sex change is difficult to get through. But I don't know. It's, it's one of those things like it was we- it was dealt with so little that it's almost strange that they involved a wife for the guy. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, yeah, there's no yeah. real reason to go either way. But it doesn't feel like they, they didn't choose a path. They just kind of went with it, and it ended up in this very middling ground that it wasn't really about anything. But you end up wondering, was it worth even including in the first place? Yeah, I feel like if you're gonna, if you're gonna really get into that, that's gonna take over the whole meat of the episode, and that's what. Not, well, I mean, it's not replacing like, anything in this, you know, like that. So that, like, right, why not? Right. Almost, yeah. But uh, I, I almost wonder if it was to offset the later half of that when Kess is like, yeah, I'm getting married to this guy over here. It's going to be fine. Like, I, I wonder if it was <laughs> if they wrote that, they wrote that initially. And yeah. then they're like, is this going to be weird for anybody that this is a woman with the, the man inside? Should we kind of like balance this out? Like, I, who, I don't know. I mean, who knows? That yeah. might have been. I, I think it's. I also kind of found it refreshing that it wasn't uh, a big point of contention and it made me kind of wonder a bit more about what this alien, what race was about. Yeah. 
Um, well, interestingly, well, was, the warlord interesting. is so obsessed that he doesn't care either, really. You know. Well, that's the thing. I couldn't tell if it because I when it first when they first got into it, I started thinking about the mechanics of this, and I was like, are they like? Can only this guy do this? Are they are they trills? Because it has kind of like a trill yeah. vibe to it, but it seems to not be the case. Um, but then when when he, it, it seemed like the the girlfriend was not that put off by him showing up as a woman. Yes, but then <laughs> you know, I guess I guess it's I guess it's it, it, it's she wasn't that because I was going to say she seems more put off when he's like when she says I'm marrying this guy, but I think that was probably just more that she's marrying somebody else than it was that it, he that it was. Yes. marrying a man or anything right so, yes yeah yeah it's the betrayal aspect is what they're trying to play at there but again it's like a it's just it's a it's the most interesting thing about their culture frankly because they right it's the only yes. thing we learn it's about the only them. Th- yeah besides their cabbage patch heads or whatever i i think and, I would, and the fact that they ha- they have oddly placed fl- uh floor length mirrors yeah. just in the middle of the room for some <laughs> reason yeah I, I i think that's probably a um that felt that feels very enterprisey to me is the idea of like um it feels like a lot of our criticism of uh, enterprise episodes are just that it's like it included this for some reason but i don't know why it did this mm-hmm. at all it, it feels almost like when you're writing the draft of the script the conflict is almost like a placeholder for what you're eventually going to put in as a real conflict there so you're like all oh, right so like the wife will be there and it's kind of weird that you know, he swaps sexes at this point. How's she going to deal with that? Oh, but anyway, let's forget about that. But it still stays in the script for some well, reason. you know, the really interesting thing about it actually is that it kind of brings up some questions because obviously uh, Kess, I'm just going to say Kess for sake of ease. <clears throat> Kess is marrying this guy for political reasons because he's the son of the or the, the king or vice yeah, or the, know, the legitimate it ruler or whatever it is yeah. called. Yeah. Um, which means that this was not an option if she, if the, if the warlord was still in a man's body. Oh, sure. So is, what are the sexual politics on this planet from that standpoint? Right. Yeah. Like I think, I think the implications of this having them breeze right by it makes the episode a little bit more interesting if you if you want to put that much thought into it. But yeah. I mean, I don't know if it deserves that much thought. But yeah, because because my point about the the I would agree it, it also probably doesn't. But it is it is kind of like a weird driving force behind it. Like the warlord is so I think his name is Tyrion. Tyrion is so obsessed with um like Tyrion's sex switch does not change his. Like he's like, I'll marry a man, sort of, you know. Like right. it, it's funny that I'll he, do it. <laughs> I will do it. I, I I guess that I guess it's a political marriage, so he doesn't actually have to consummate it or anything like that. But it was it was like a he was so power hungry and driven, that, which I appreciated that he he was just like, I'll marry anybody as long as as long right. as it secures what it is. Well, you know? yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's a I, you know I keep saying interesting, but. Uh, because it op- it opens up a new avenue for him because instead of having to violently overthrow he right. can just marry it yeah which is you know i don't know maybe there's more more interesting stuff going on under the surface here than uh they gave any the credence to but they don't get into any of this stuff so it's may as well not even talk about it. is is his is his body switching unique to him do they that's the it? thing i don't know don't i can't know. remember okay i can't remember if they mentioned it i got the strong implication it was it doesn't it, yeah. it seemed like it was something that he had learned he he had been around for like 200 years or something right? right yeah so he's been through multiple bodies so does that mean that the uh is that vision that kess has is that his real body i guess it must be uh yes i think so yeah okay. it would have been more interesting if uh the original body was a woman uh oh you mean so that he when she has the when she has the vision you see the original version of the warlord is is also a woman oh right so i don't know just yeah, just yeah. to mix it up you know yes. <laughs> <laughs> just just add a little bit of layer to this cake let's just yeah. make her a woman and that that makes everything uh work out correctly for her um yeah so there's that i mean do you do you want to just give your thoughts about either the plot and like the episode uh contents as a whole or my only other thing that I wanted to get out of the way was um, 
Shay Sandrine being gone, the, the the bar being gone and replaced oh, right, by this right. like uh Atlantis resort or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe that's quicker so we can start there. So uh I'm not a big fan of the switch here. I know it's only been one episode, but um it's probably a bad sign when a show is like, let's just keep changing the place where they hang out, you know? Um, <laughs> and I was thinking about it, and all the other bars or hangout places in all the other Star Trek franchises are not, it's not really important how exciting the location is, right? Like 10 Forward is just a big bar with a bunch of generic spacey Greg's chairs all over the place, right? right? Like there's yeah. like nothing going on in there. But it's about the conversations. Like Quark's Bar has a little bit more going on in there. But it's still, it's like, it's just the characters, they get a chance to play that dart game as they have a conversation as opposed to Mm -hmm. sitting at a table. So it's like it's not Mm -hmm. adding anything tremendously crazy there. I just think that Voyager is a little bit confused thinking that the problem with our group scenes is that the location is wrong. Like this is not the right location to have. And I think that the the resort that they've ended on... um, is clearly just this like titillating, silly thing, you know, to be like, let's get some <laughs> women in bikinis hanging out here on this. Now Star we're Trek talking. Show. Yeah, Rick's, Rick's Michael. Uh, <laughs> Michael, I got some ideas. Michael Paylor is packing up his uh, his office into a box as Berman comes in to pitch this episode. So <laughs> it's just, yep, do whatever you want, Rick. So I don't know how you. We feel gotta about see. It. We gotta see the feet. <laughs> People have been asking. One guy's got a letter. Letter writing campaign. What did you think of uh, the switch? Is it necessary? Do you do you miss say Shay uh, Sandrine or whatever it was called? I I was not aware that this was going to be a thing moving forward. It didn't have. It didn't really leave an, uh, a mark on me in this episode because it just seemed like it was, you know, just a, a different a different way to do a cold open. But I was wondering why they did the cold open the way they did. And that explains it, where they're introducing this new thing that's going to be the uh, uh, holdover. Right. Um, It seems visually less interesting to me because it seems to just be like a balcony. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very (laughs) with a couple tables. Yeah, bright balcony. I like to the um, Caribbean band too. Just a bunch of bored-looking black guys who are like, "What? What is this? What the? It's it's just a it's just like a blocky." balcony thing with apparently has a pool that you don't see you know and it's like i just um, i told them i told them we you can use my you can use my balcony but i have some conditions (laughs) free charge some conditions about who's gonna be in the scenes it's a little bit too silly to have frequent interactions between the cast at that place i think um, yeah, I did like the bit with uh, Torres, though. Yeah, Bolana mm-hmm. and her. Um, yeah, that was pretty good. Her well-cut uh, male specimen. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not looking forward to it. It's just I think it's just going to be distracting. Like, there's just a lot of great conversations that happened in like Ten Forward and Quark's Bar and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. you can't have a serious conversation in that location. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. talking about the ethics of like genocide over a mai tai with yeah, a gigantic. The slice of pineapple <laughs> sticking out of the top. Just Janeway's Janeway's wearing flamingo sunglasses. <laughs> it's not conducive. It's not the uh, the environment that we need to have. Yeah, so that's it. Uh, do you have anything else you did you wanted to say about this episode, or should we just go to patron thoughts? Uh, Janeway has a ponytail in this episode. I don't know if that uh, hangs over into the next episode, <laughs> but uh, I started to think that Janeway's hairdo was going to become like that crushed velvet jacket Picard wears every now and then. Right. Where it's just, just to mix it up a little bit. Right. So this episode we give her a ponytail. We don't take the hair all the way down, but... No, they'll they'll keep... Much like the location of the holodeck, they're going to keep playing with things until they find yeah. it, I guess. Like, it's... um, That's... it's. I don't know how much of, a, of the fabric of the show it is at this point, but it definitely seems like Voyager is trying to figure itself out. I know that Pillar had left... Um, at this point in like the uh who's the showrunner the showrunner is that uh woman who was working on TNG Jer- Jerry Jerry Taylor I think is the showrunner oh, at this okay. point so they're obviously trying to figure things out and it feels like they're dumping pillar stuff like they're getting rid mm. of old things um 
And I just think it's a bad look for a show that's in the middle of its third season, which is close to 70-something episodes of television that you've done at that point. Yeah, it's it, you're changing a skin to mix it up, but you're not changing anything right. fundamental. Like, clearly you feel like you need to mix it up and there needs to be a change, but the thing you're choosing to change is very surface level. So well, I, I, I don't and I guess, gonna... you know, the implication is that this is supposed to be transcendent for Cass, this whole episode, right? Because it sure. ends that yeah. way. I right. just... Why, why do we not feel that this is something that's going to stick? Is it just the way that that's how the show works? Or do you think that it was more... Because I, I, I was just confused by their ending conversation. I felt like it didn't really encapsulate what Kess went through. I, I just thought that yeah. she was saying things that I didn't really buy she would be saying at the end of this um, adventure that she had. Or is it just that yeah. Voyager's so uh, episodic that we're like, yeah, fuck it, she's not going to learn anything. Yeah, I think it's a few things. I think it's that. I think it's that... This episode never really felt like it was Kess on some sort of struggle or journey. Right. Because we only get to see her interior uh, thoughts and dealing with the situation in that one scene where she's uh, uh, confront, where it's the two of them, she's confronting the, the actual warlord guy. Oh, right. She does break with a Tuvok's mind melt for a second. She manages to get control of herself. And, yeah, you but, but you know, we're not really getting a sense of what's going right. on. Right. I know, I know you what know? you mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah, the best you get is uh, the Pet Cemetery guy being like, well, she's might still be in there, but she's going to be irreparably changed. Right. Yeah. And you don't really get a sense of, of her actually being changed. And I also think that, um, it is the episodic nature and that this stuff tends not to hold over. Uh, and I also think it is because that final scene, like there's no final scene with Neelix where she says, no, I'm serious. We're done. Right. Like, I think that would be the one that would, that would indicate that this is something that's going to hold over. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's the weird thing too, because you can see that in with the, the Neelix relationship could come through her relationship with, the guy's wife or whatever that relationship is, right? Like they can, they can mirror the relationship that's equally as bad in the warlord and his wife and have Kess go through that as a different person, you know? Mm -hmm. They could have mm -hmm. done something to tie it together. And then she, you know, as that relationship crumbles or whatever, she gets exposed to the whatever backstory they make up for those characters and the, the conflict that the warlord and his wife are going through. She can then end the episode by... You know, by living through that experience, she has a new perspective on her and Neelix being together, and that's the end of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. They just, they, they don't do anything like that. All right. So, uh, is that it? Or did you have anything else you wanted to say? No. I, th I did like the one scene where uh, uh, she, as the warlord, is giving out um, orders. And she's like, I want artillery on the highest points of the castle parapet. And I also want flowers. Flowers everywhere. I thought that was pretty good. That was fun. <laughs> she loves plants. Kess is a big potato grower. All right, we'll just go to Patreon Thoughts then. If you guys enjoyed the content today and you want to support the show, you want to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read it, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the place to go. You'll get exclusive pictures of the bat. I'll put the bat up there if, that, <laughs> if people want to see the pictures of that. And yes, you do see the feet. You do see the it's horrible little knee. No, no extra money. <laughs> All patrons, so join at any level to get pictures of the bat. I'll put that up. Um, and you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes. We read them. We've got a bunch to go through here. So let me go into our little Discord chat room, Clay, so I can send you these. Mm -hmm. uh, I will I've read the first one. Yes, it has been a while, right? Kyle Barrett says... Warlord, now that we're in season three, watching a Kess episode, even a bad one like this, just makes me sad knowing the character hasn't got long left on Voyager. Yes, Kess and Neelix as a couple are a problem on the show, but getting rid of Kess to correct it instead of him is like trying to treat a brain tumor by getting a haircut. Kess rejecting Neelix and calling him out on his bullshit is the best thing she's done, and yet it's treated like the first stage in her possessed psyche insanity. Jennifer Lean is fun to watch, even though the more attempted Shakespearean tragic leader character is less Macbeth and more Mirror Universe. And farewell to Shea Sandrine as the holodeck hangout, and hello to Sandals Jamaica. I wonder if they have tartar sauce. Two almost <laughs> gay kisses vetoed by Rick Berman, who may be a homophobe, but he's no badger baiter out of five. Excellent peep show reference there. Uh, I'll do the Seba's poem. Warlord, Patrick Seba, my mind enters yours, baby. It's time to play. And Jen Lien's got range. Who thought that'd be the day? 
Cook gets two foot jobs for those sexy knobs, and we saw a mind meld that counts as three-way. Three surprisingly fun performances from Kess out of five. I'll be honest. Every time I hear the word warlord now, I can only think. Do you remember that SNL skit where Phil Hartman plays uh, Clinton, and he's on a, on a jog? And oh, at the McDonald's. McDonald's. Yeah. yeah, and he's, he's <laughs> explaining how the aid they're sending to Africa keeps getting in, intercepted by warlords well, yep. by eating everybody's food. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's <laughs> a good sketch. Tax Bear, this one's short too. Warlord, at least they replaced Tom Paris's pool table brothel. That aside, a good idea for an episode, but one that suffers from Kess's actress not being able to really pull off the evil dictator. Also, we meet the first of a series of alien species with unnerving nostrils. I only noticed their cabbage heads. Yeah, they had four nostril holes, which is kind of disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Well, this one is Bob J. Coaster or Quester. Quester. Go ahead. Warlord, please put me in the column for loving Lean's performance in this. The moment where the warlord says that Kess waits for him when he sleeps is a favorite and a nice turnaround of the shining trope of a good person losing control to an evil force. So I guess the the uh, both sides of the ledger are even here. I think me and Tax Owlbear did not like the performance, but you and Bob are tremendous fans of the performance. Here. <laughs> yeah, Jaron Hatch says... Warlord, this shares a lot of DNA with DS9's The Passenger, and this is one of those rare instances where Voyager does it better. Jennifer Leanne does a, it must be Leanne, does a great job channeling the character she's playing, and you can really see it in the mind duel scene she has with Tyrion. Aside from that, it's fairly average stuff. I guess this episode is noticeable for introducing the new holodeck hangout for the crew, but it's not as memorable as the more atmospheric Chasandrine. Three hilariously awkward breakup stories out of five. This next one is Justice for Tune Shoe, which is coming right to you now. Warlord, a cold open that begins with Tom and Harry getting cock-blocked by Red Alert while the camera zooms in uncomfortably on Neelix's dancing feet. And then we awkwardly transition into a scene of the Doctor basically saying bag and tag after failing to <laughs> save the life of an alien. The rest of the episode is basically Kess doing a bizarre blend of space fascist and bridezilla. These aliens look like look like the horrifying results of a Kazon's and Brussels sprouts <laughs> orgy. God bless Voyager season three. Two cast freakouts out of five. Yeah. Aaron Million says, at no time ever have I wanted to see Neelix's feet. I am now trying to remove that image from my brain. Beyond that, Leanne gives a great performance here, playing opposite of her usual demeanor. This episode has some faint echoes of TOS's return to tomorrow, where Spock is inhabited by an evil mind and tries to kill Kirk. It also made me think of the TNG episode Brothers, with Data taking control of the ship after Soong activates a chip inside his network. So this concept is not new to Trek. Voyager does an okay job on it. Neither a great nor bad episode. Uh, three pairs of Neelix's nasty feet out of five. Boy, the, the performance seems a little bit um, divisive, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Kensido says, Warlord, never have I seen a Star Trek actor fight as hard against a script that is not on their side as Jennifer Leon does here. Two out of five. Interesting way to put it. Woodrow says, Warlord, double O Tuvok out of five. Uh, oh, there's a, a short one. I can give you this one. This is Jonathan J.K. Morris with Warlord. Honestly, it's worth watching just for the actress playing Kess. Given material, she can re- given material, she can really do something. Further tragic how things played out after season three. Three out of five for Jennifer Lean's stomping around. Hmm. I don't know. Changeling, Warlord, this episode was very horny and I liked it. This one felt very fast-paced, <laughs> albeit a little rushed at times. Well, that, that, that the sexual metaphors continue. But Jennifer Leanne brought a lot more energy in her dual role. Uh, he, and he, I wonder if this is a pun. He wrote dual as in like fighting dual, which mm. it kind of is. So that's an actual, that's a very nice wordplay. That's, uh, that's the trouble with autocorrect, isn't it? You can never tell if it's if it's a if it's a pun or if it's a, a spelling right. error, <laughs> is, is the AI being funny or is this just me? I have uh, the Grammarly keyboard on my phone now. Uh, I installed that for my. Oh, what does that do? 
It, it's well, it's because you can always change the keyboards on your phone, but uh, the Grammarly one just does a much better job with text predicting correction. Just because Grammarly uh. is like the uh, correcting grammar correcting thing. Will it console. will it stop auto correcting to ducking? It every makes time I try it to makes you fucking. select if you want it to be corrected. So my old oh, keyboard would automatically correct it as soon as I spelt the word yeah. wrong or spelt something and hit space. It would correct the word usually incorrectly to what I was trying to say. Yeah, so. mine has been getting bad. Like it's mine has been auto correcting to straight up gibberish. Yeah, and I I don't know why it's doing that, but I don't know if I need to reset some settings or clear the cache or something. But Gram- Grammarly keyboard for everyone. Uh, I really wish they explored more of this dark phoenix aspect of Kessa's character as someone who's kind and gentle, but has this huge destructive potential if she ever lets go. Also, I'm told that despite being mind-controlled, the breakup sticks. Good for her. Four beach volleyball girls and one Speedo Man out of five. You know, that is another thing that they touch on that I feel like deserves more room. Kessa's powers. I completely forgot Kess had powers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is an interesting way to bring them back into the fold and uh, uh, give them a dark bent. But um, she yeah, just I gives mean, people bloody noses. Sort yeah. of in this well, hey, it worked for Stranger Things, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it never comes back. You know, the the cast powers. Yeah. Yeah. A Latte Librarian says, Warlord, Tyrion wasn't all bad. At least he was building a new library. 2.5 body transfers <laughs> out of five. Yeah, they're not all bad. It's like Al Swearingen on our coverage uh, of something pretty in the Deadwood podcast. This is Poindexter G with this comment that I'm sending to you. Not a horribly original story, but I still enjoyed it for the most part. Jennifer Lean is really given a lot to do here, and it's nice to see her get a chance to work outside of what she typically does with Kess. Demis manages to be a stuck-up, entitled little prick while also still recognizing Janeway's less aggressive tactics. Cropola John Zorn says, Warlord, Jennifer Lean makes this episode worth watching. It's a pity this might have been the high point of her acting career. Four times you broke up with your boyfriend while possessed by a malevolent alien entity and forgot to get back together out of five. Royo with this one. There's a variety of opinions from the patrons yeah. on this one. This is an interesting episode in terms of response. You give them some time, and they come up with some really out there ideas. <laughs> People have been stewing on this one for ten weeks. Yeah, so we're, we're getting some some interesting takes. Is, can, is there an edit button? Can you tell if if anybody's gone back in and oh, just like no, there is rewriting and rewriting and refining and refining <laughs> their thoughts on this episode of Voyager. <laughs> The very first second of this episode gives us Neelix's O face, but he'll get his. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> but he'll get his as Kess dumps him, leaving him an incel for the rest of the show. Mm. Kess nearly kisses another woman, but this being the 90s, that's still a no no for television. The episode feels like a spiritual successor to The Enemy Within, with Leon embracing the horny evil Kirk ham, and the episode is all the better for it. Despite the agony of the previous Enterprise marathon with the so many crew captured and imprisoned episodes, Warlord at least cap sorry, Warlord at least has the decently decency to be paced at breakneck speed before you can blink the little Putin has overthrown a government and demanded everyone grow gardens in their honor. Shatner said he developed his acting style during Shakespeare to keep the audience awake and back. And I have to admit, I gotta be honest with you, as I'm reading this, I understand why Shatner and like Christopher Walken have the delivery. They, I think they're just cold reading everything that they get, <laughs> and however it comes out is how it comes out. He developed <clears throat> his acting yeah. style during. Shatner said he developed his acting style <laughs> during Shakespeare to to keep the audience awake and back. <laughs> and I have to admit, such hammy acting does keep me engaged with this episode, despite this being a C minus script with off screen fleets and cheap sets. Four out of five. Four out of five. Yeah, I, the performance doesn't uh, save the rest of the episode. I, like I, I, I can appreciate people did, but yeah, it's certainly. I, I certainly just don't find it to be a performance that bumps it up in terms of our yeah, score. I, I wouldn't say it saves anything. Like yeah. it's not saving anything, but it's it's probably the most interesting it's the, bit. It's the only thing going on. I, I, right. I'll, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give people that, but. Um, 
I like a four out of five. It's just it's high. He's not the first one to give a four out of five on this episode. It's just surprising to me. Um, although I hate Star Trek now, as everyone keeps telling me. So Nor- Norman Buckwald <laughs> says, Warlord, yes, Deep Space Nine's The Passenger preceded it, but this is a much better possession from escaping death episode. Jennifer Lean proves her acting chops in that wonderfully directed scene that uses both Kess's quarters and the Lord- Warlord's lair is absolutely fantastic and brilliant. Five bleeding multi-nostril noses out of five. Guys, I know Star Trek Picard just ended, but <laughs> this, this is this is... People are people are going hog wild on this episode of Star Trek Voyager. Malo Provoso, although I am glad everyone liked it. Is it me or does something about this episode feel pretty weird? He capitalized pretty weird. Like for a Star Trek show, one or maybe two out of five. So that's basically my commentary on the podcast itself. I'll read this short one from Matt Ross and you can have Artorias's next. So... Matt Ross says, I hate this episode. Maybe it's because DS9 did it better with the passenger or any Trill-like episodes. Maybe it's Neelix's feet. Maybe it's Kess's leather outfit and the mustache twirling of the main bad guy. Although Jen Lin did eat up the scenery. Ugh, next please. One, I don't know what to make out of this episode out of five. And this is Artorius with Warlord. Artorius, Artorius. This episode for me was very bland and I find myself asking, what was the point? It's an episode about Kess where we only get about five minutes of Kess. So if the point at the end is to, is the experience changes her, but we don't see the experience from her point of view, then all that's left is a hollow shell of an episode because I honestly don't care about the Warlord. All exposition on her character development, nothing really seen. Oh, and it seems everyone is a hedonist. A low, two-speedo-wearing male gigolos out of five. So that's basically what I was saying. Yeah, that he, I, that, I think that's the best comment yeah. so far. Like, Or that that's the, in terms of summing up what I think is the problem with the episode, it's it's that. Yeah. I would also, I would be more open to the, uh, the, the new holodeck thing if it was people just getting weirder because they've been out there so long. It's, it's like, yeah... You know the bar ain't really doing it. We need to we need to push the boundaries here to keep our sanity. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's go to let's go to hedonism too. <laughs> Temptation Isle. Yeah. Temptation Isle on Fox. Amy. Um, Fuck Amy, Boy Island. Amy was watching this and she had the question. She said, "Do people have sex on the holodeck?" Which, as we know, clearly does happen. But it's um, it's an interesting difference between the because I, I brought up to her i was like well ds9 was just constantly the subtext of all holodeck stuff was that someone was fucking on the holodeck mm-hmm. like it's just mm-hmm. that's the way that it was uh sort of played up they never explicitly said that but i don't know it's it just it, it's a difference between the sh- two shows right where nothing nothing serious seems like it would happen on the voyager holodeck in a way that ds9's hollow suites seem to mm. be set up and you know that that's because I'm all for your idea of like we've been out here a long time and we need to start. You know the crew's just pent up like things things right. have got to happen and we need these sexy holodeck places to make that happen. But you know the the it's Tom and Harry with like goofy mai tais talking to holodeck women. You know it's just yeah it's just weird. It's it's not sexy. It's just strange. Do you think that they ever played? like a, a hazing trick similar to do you remember the scene in uh here's a here's a, a contemporary reference for you do you remember the scene in mash the movie when they they all set up in front of the showers and then they pull the thing and the 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 the, the i can't remember uh the woman for in mash is taking a shower and yep. she's all embarrassed do you think they have uh anyone ever does the holodeck version of that where when they know someone's going off <laughs> to have sex <laughs> they wait like five minutes and then they just go computer and program and, and then the whole thing shuts off <laughs> mid thrust I, w- I would imagine i mean that's you know in our tarantino star trek that i still fantasize about that would be something that would certainly happen in that but not today not today mm. Brandon Neil Howell says, Warlord, so Kess wants to wear a leather collar, huh? I might have enjoyed this episode more if she'd sucked Neelix's toes as well. I wanted Ugh. Q and his mariachi band to appear in Neelix's holodeck program. Two white beach bimbos out of five. If you want to see Jen Lean act, watch American History X instead. Oh, Who is no, she in American, American History X? I have no idea. She's the X. 
Is she the girlfriend? She might be the girlfriend of Ed Norton. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Might be. I saw that once, like 25 years ago. Ben Sisko's in it too. It's a Star oh. Trek, Star Trek uh, Palooza. Uh, here's Nick the Rat. I will send this one to you. Warlord, I want to punch Neelix in his O-face. That little troll thinks a recently widowed woman just needs to have some fun to forget her minutes-old dead husband. Kess runs like a goon, yet she did a great job acting in this episode. How did nine people infiltrate a planet-conquering empire? I really hate when they try to cram and resolve a giant war within 30 minutes. I'll give this episode two fugly feet out of five. Thank you very much. Undiscovered Mugato says... Nukes' O-face then panned down to his nasty feet near the worst opening 30 seconds in all of Voyager and possibly in the history of broadcast television. Clunky direction makes poor sets look even worse. Tyrion's completely unseeable death was unsatisfying. No supernatural scream, no withering spirit, just the beep of an iPod shuffle against someone's cheek. We, well, <laughs> we didn't even talk about that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Undiscovered Mugato's got discovered. My yeah. least favorite part was when the two women almost kissed, but didn't because one got a headache. One classic Delta Quadrant muddy hairdo out of five. Yep. Yeah, that I, was. Is there a less exciting climax to a action sci-fi show than struggling to put a iPod Mini on someone's face? Yeah, and just then wipe them out. Nope, he he already jumped bodies. You got to do it on this guy's face now. <laughs> got him. We got him. Got, Everybody relax. Yeah, it's like chasing a fly, the episode. It's like you missed him with the first one, wait for him to land and hit him again. So is his consciousness just gone now? Did they just murder that guy? I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Seems, seems fine. Benjamin Espinosa says, Warlord, best part of this episode, Kes dumps Neelix. Worst part, Neelix dancing. Just too much Neelix in this one. Awful from beginning to end. I love Star Trek, but this is just embarrassing. It's clear the team is creatively bankrupt at this point. Thankfully, a course correction is on the horizon. One pedicure for Neelix out of five. We've had ones and fives on this episode. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, Jonas here with Warlord. And I'll send it to you. Jennifer Lean did an admirable job in this episode. It has uh, his, <clears throat> it also had less technobabble than usual and a relatively clear and cohesive plot. I started to understand Wes's claim about the show not taking itself seriously, however, when Bellana brought her own oiled-up strongman into Neelix's holodeck getaway. Oh, and I was reminded of the only moment when Keiko O'Brien was watchable, DS9's The Assignment, three cases of blood inexplicably oozing out of forehead nostrils out of five. Yeah, that's my takeaway from Voyager at this point is that it's it's when Star Trek stops completely taking itself seriously, really. Yeah. So that's that's my yeah. I, I feel like Enterprise takes itself more seriously than Voyager does. Would you agree or disagree with that? Um, Enterprise is a maybe more boring yeah, show. I would say so. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it does. I feel like uh, Enterprise's tone matches more with DS9 and TNG than Voyager. Voyager's tone still, the best comparison was whatever that, wh- whichever patron just said it's, it feels like a Hercules or Xena episode in a lot of them. Sorry, say that again? One, one of the patrons said that Voyager's tone is kind of reminiscent of like Xena and Hercules, yeah. like those yes. Saturday morning action shows. Yes, I would agree with that. It has a very similar vibe a lot of the times. And I think that comes down to production value a lot too. Yeah, but you would say would you would you say that Enterprise is the same, or would you think that it's different? Um, I think Enterprise <laughs> Enterprise feels more like Stargate than uh, than yeah. Xena. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I would say Enterprise is takes itself more seriously. Um, I just think it's really difficult to take anything seriously when you've got fucking Neelix on the show. That's true. Yeah. It's just he's such a weird useless goober <laughs> he is um he is he's the first first kind of joke pure joke character right like there's nothing serious about yeah. Alex at all yeah yeah I, mean, maybe, I guess it was just it was all just there from from the inception yeah um yeah i don't think the i don't think the show particularly takes itself seriously i'm also one other thing i was wondering about voyager is that um I, I wish on the feedback I knew, uh, like, if people could have, like, a little bit of flair on their username or something. And I mm-hmm. wish it showed 
the first Star Trek series you you watched and grew up with. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder if I, I feel like Voyager is the one that is 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 a split where like a lot of people came into the franchise with Voyager. I think, mm-hmm. and people have said in the comments that like Voyager uh, is they might. They, they can admit that it's maybe not the best show, but it's like their favorite of the Star Trek series just because they grew up with it. Sure. Um, and I didn't, obviously. So like this is my this is my first like real watch of Voyager, but it um, it feels like it might be something that it's kind of splitting along those lines where um, I probably like TNG episodes more than these people uh, thought was reasonable. Uh, is that the last Warlord episode? That's the last comment. So we're at Thanks, Jonas, for your final comment. Thanks all the other patrons. For your comments at patreon.com slash the Penske file. So, Clay, on our scale of one to five, I've cooled down a little bit. I'm not as hot-headed. I think I said in the first part <laughs> I might give this one a one. Uh, what are you going to give this one? I'll give it a two. Okay. I'll give it a two as well, I guess. Um, I found it pretty pretty boring, though. Yeah. Um, a tough one to come back into. A lot of changes were going on with the new holodeck adventure place and Neelix and Kess breaking up, I guess. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I generally just ask for a little bit more from the plot than a performance with like a, a the most generic warlord character, I think, that's ever been put to television. It just, yeah. it, it just even, it, nothing came through. Even for Star Trek, this was pretty lame. Yeah, villain. pretty, pretty yeah. bland. So I'll give it a two as well. It's a week two. It's borderline a one, I think. Um, and I don't even know if it's Kess's performance that saved it, but it, it is what it is. So thanks, everybody. We'll both give it a two. Let us know what you thought in the comments of this episode. Join the Patreon, patreon.com slash thepenskefile, all that other stuff. Listen to all the other podcasts and shows that are out there on thepenskefile.com, all that good stuff. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, yeah, we're uh, on Patreon. Amanda and I are making our way through the video Nasties. And May is uh, the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, which I think will be a fun one, even though we haven't done it yet. And, uh, yeah, check those out. Check out Badass. We'll be talking uh, the next episode of Badass that will be coming out. I don't know. When is this coming out? This comes out this Tuesday. We're just, okay. like, right right back to it. The next episode of Badass, Sean talks about his uh, experiences at the Lake Como comic convention in Italy. That he hmm. was uh, he was out at a couple weeks ago, which is a pretty uh, sounds like a pretty cool time. So tune in to hear that. What uh, what is that? The actual location? That's what it's called. Yeah, it's like this. It's this really exclusive convention that is only for artists, and there's only a thousand people who are only a thousand tickets sold for the show. Yeah. So it's a very high end thing. It's a lot of like art buyers and stuff and gotcha. and so he he went on this whole like two week long european tour basically where his french publisher flew him out to do a bunch of signings and then he went from there to italy to do the show so it wasn't he said it was great but it wasn't exactly a vacation because he was working the whole time but. yep yep interesting well check out sean's italian the italian job that uh sean started in <laughs> and you can see that on the latest badass podcast will come out this week or next week that's it we're done thanks everybody for listening the next episode is uh-oh i don't have my little sheet up hopefully it's oh it's the q and the gray right it is it's a q episode so Ooh. we're back with voyager thanks everybody for listening and oh i guess the other thing is the the patron poll, Clay, it looks like people want us to do Voyager, not Strange New Worlds, by really? a sizable margin, like not insignificant. So um, I'll let that settle for another night, but it's at it's at 100 votes. So that's pretty much as much as many votes as we ever get on something. Mm. Um, so it looks like Voyager might be the way forward at this point. I'll be canceling Paramount+. Plus. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time.